We have a very special program for you today. It's the second in the series, Heroes of the Bible. So this is Heroes of the Bible, part two. But before I bring you this message today, I'm pleased to introduce my wife, Beverly, who has a very interesting story to tell you. Would you please welcome her? Like any good mother, Karen, when she found out that she was to have her second child, tried to prepare her three-year-old son, Michael, to meet his new sibling. A few weeks later, they were told that it would be a baby girl. And young Michael was so thrilled that he was going to have a baby sister that he decided that he would sing to her every day while she was still in his mummy's tummy until she was born. And Karen was happy about this because doctors tell us today that if we sing or even just speak to the unborn, it can create a very loving, strong, loving bond. Karen and her husband are active members of the Panther Creek United Methodist Church in Morristown, Tennessee. Her pregnancy progressed normally. And at the end of nine months, as always happens, there's no turning back, is there, ladies? The labor pains came. First, every five minutes, then every three, then every one. But unfortunately, unfortunately, some serious complications arose and they thought that they'd have to do a cesarean. But after a few more minutes, the baby was delivered, but with serious health problems. And that night, with the siren howling, the ambulance rushed the infant to the neonatal intensive care unit at St. Mary's Hospital, Knoxville, in Tennessee. The days inched by, but the doctors kept saying, there's not much hope. But these people were praying people, and they prayed, as did their whole church family. But young Michael, he couldn't understand why he couldn't see his young baby sister. Mummy, mummy, every day he would say, I want to see my sister, I want to sing to her. And at the end of the second week, when the doctor said, there's much, not much time left, Karen decided that Michael was going to see and sing to his sister. On arriving at the hospital, she dressed him in an oversized scrub suit. And as they walked down the hall, they said he looked like a walking laundry basket because the suit was so big and he was so small. And as they got to the door of the unit, they bumped into the head nurse who yelled at them, get that kid out of here. You know children aren't allowed in this unit. The mother and Karen rose up and she stood to her full height and she glared at the head nurse and said, I don't care what this hospital says, Michael is not leaving until he sings to his sister. And she grabbed Michael and rushed past the nurse and into the unit. Michael stood there for a while, gazing down at the tiny infant, battling for her life. And then he started to sing. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. And after a few minutes, something wonderful started to happen. The baby's pulse, which had been racing since birth, began to slow down. And Karen, with tears streaming down her face, said, sing, Michael, sing. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamt I held you in my hands. 
By this time, the bossy head nurse was also standing there, and she sensed that something wonderful was happening. And she noticed that the baby's ragged, strained breathing became as smooth as a kitten's purr. That's what they wrote the next day in the paper. And now she too had tears in her eyes, and she encouraged Michael, Sing, Michael, sing! You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Please don't take my sunshine away. And the next day, the very next day, Michael with his parents took his baby sister home. The ladies journal called it the miracle of a brother's song. The hospital staff said, it's a miracle. And I call it the miracle of a father's love, our heavenly father's love for a little boy who loved his little sister so very much. And you know, this teaches us never to give up on the people we love because love, which comes from God, is an incredibly powerful thing. And also it helps us to see that sometimes when we feel we're only one, we can't do much. To the world, we might be only one, but to someone, we might be the world, especially when God's love is in our heart. Today's topic is number two in the series, Heroes of the Bible, the greatest person who ever lived. Listen to this. He is the greatest person with the greatest mission, with the greatest success, with the greatest beneficence, with the greatest influence with the greatest power, with the greatest life, with the greatest duration, with the greatest character, with the greatest wisdom, with the greatest suffering, with the greatest victory, with the greatest family, with the greatest following, with the greatest patience, with the greatest love, with the greatest gift who came the greatest distance for the greatest number. His name is called Jesus Christ. He is greater than all the admirals who ever sailed, greater than all the generals who ever marched, all the scientists who ever invented, all the philosophers who ever speculated, all the politicians who ever legislated, all the professors who ever taught, all the preachers who ever preached, all the judges who ever deliberated, all the presidents who ever proclaimed, all the popes who ever pontificated, all the actors who ever acted, all the kings who ever reigned all the wise, the wealthy, the beautiful, the powerful, and the famous put together. He is Jesus Christ. He is infinitely, infinitely greater than Moses, the lawgiver, Isaiah, the prophet, Daniel, the seer, Paul, the apostle, Alexander the Great, greater than the great. Newton, the scientist, greater than he. 
greater than Luther, the theologian, Shakespeare, the bard, Lincoln, the emancipator, Churchill, who has been called the man of the century. He is greater than them all because he is the man of the ages. It is my great honor and privilege today to talk about the greatest person who has ever lived in the history not only of this planet, but the history of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to notice some of the great events in his life and truly the words of scripture are appropriate. Who is sufficient for these things? Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote the words which come down to us today with all their freshness and power. Our little systems have their day. They have their day and cease to be. They are but broken lights of thee. And thou, O Lord, art more than they. He is greater than all. The Lord Jesus Christ. He had the greatest birth. The greatest life. He gave to the world the greatest teachings. He performed the greatest healings. He earned the greatest redemption. He suffered the greatest death but experienced the greatest victory and will soon give to the world the greatest return. Because he said, I will come again. And he offers to every person today, my beloved friends, the greatest gift. Why should we talk today to you on television and to this audience here that meets Saturday mornings at the Community Adventist Church at 100 West Duarte Road, California? Why should we talk about the greatest person? Because the greatest person my dear friends, is in the business of saving people. Mothers with naughty children. Drug addicts. Sick people. Lonely people. Poor people. Rich people. Unhappy people. Old people, young people, cold people, sinful people, black people, white people, brown people. In fact, Jesus Christ the Lord is the only person in this crazy, mixed up, world that seems to have a death wish who makes any sense at all. He is the only one who can save. Thus, he is the greatest of all.
I want you to notice today some of the great things about him. And I say again, who is sufficient to talk on this subject? I want you to notice his family. He had a heavenly family as well as an earthly family. The Bible tells us that he was part of the eternal Godhead. And we read about his Godhead in the greatest book that has ever been written. That is the book of John. Would you please come with me to John chapter 1 and verses 1 down to 4. I say again, the greatest book that has ever been written, not written by a systematic theologian, but by a systematic fisherman. John chapter 1, verses 1 and onwards. Please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, verse 1 and onwards. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the infinite one. The Bible says, in the beginning, whenever that was, we cannot understand those words fully, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God the Father, and the Bible tells us that he was God, and it means that he partook of the very essence and the very nature of God. The Bible says that nothing that has been made was made without him. Obviously, he must be the greatest because he was God. In my study of astronomy, I've discovered this. Listen to this. That when the universe was created, we're not here even to discuss when that happened. The Bible says in the beginning. In the very moment when the universe was created, if it had gone faster than one millionth of one millionth of one millionth of one second, the universe would have collapsed and there would never have been a planet Earth. They've discovered this recently. If the time frame had been off, think of this, by one millionth of one millionth of one millionth of one second, a millionth of a millionth of a millionth of a second, there would have been no life in the universe. There would have been no universe. He was there, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh. He is called in Holy Scripture by the words that we say, not lightly, Jehovah, Yahweh. I remember 
my beloved friends, when I was in Jerusalem some time back, and I was watching a scribe, a Jewish scribe, Mark, copying the Holy Scriptures, writing in the Hebrew. And I sat there with wonderment in my soul as he dipped the stylus in the black ink and wrote the Hebrew writing. And then he came to the Tetragrammaton, which we translate Jehovah or Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And I blurted out, how do you pronounce the word Yahweh? He looked at me and he said, we do not pronounce it. We do not say it. We write it, but we do not say it. It is the name for the self-existent Almighty One. We do not say it. He in Scripture is called, I say it softly, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am that I am, the first and the last, El Shaddai. Are some momentous names. These names encompass who he is. I read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, the words, listen to these words. Jehovah says, fear not, for I will help you. He talks to his people, he says, fear not, you worm, Jacob, for I will help you. The Christ, Jesus Christ, whom we worship today is the one who says to every struggling person, fear not, I will help you. If this God who was talking to us was an impotent God, a weak God, then we might be tempted to say, but he cannot help me. But to the drug addict, he says, fear not, I will help you. To the mother whose children have gone astray, he says, fear not, for I will help you. To the person who is dying of cancer, he says, fear not, I will help you. How can he help? Because he is infinite. Think about this. Because he is infinite in his capacity and because there are a finite number of creatures, he can bestow upon every single person in the world and in the universe all of the time and all of the concern and all of the energy as though that person were the only person because he is infinite. A person says, you don't know what my problem is. I'm a businessman and, and if I follow God's word, I will surely go into bankruptcy. I cannot afford to follow him. He says, fear not. I will help you. Because he is the greatest. Think of his earthly family. 
He had a mother, like every other little boy, whose name was Mary, who was a poor peasant girl. He had a foster father whose name was Joseph. His birth was the greatest birth in the history of the human race because the Bible says that when he was conceived in the womb, it was not because of Joseph, it was because of the Spirit of God. And thus we believe in the apparently absurd doctrine of the virgin birth. But those of us who believe in the greatness of God do not find this a staggering proposition because of his great power. And so his birth was not like the birth of any other person. It was extraordinary. It was the greatest of all births. And on one occasion he said, remember, nothing is too hard for God. He said that to his disciples. Nothing shall be impossible unto you because of his family relationships. The doctrine of God coming to dwell among men is a doctrine that is overwhelming to the unbelieving mind. Gandhi, the great Indian mystic who led his people out of the slavery of the British rule, made the remark, I believe that Jesus was a great person. But to say that he was God, he said, I cannot accept this. I cannot believe this. The Muslims who now number millions and millions say that Jesus indeed was a mighty prophet, but he was only a great prophet. But the Bible teaches that God became flesh. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the greatness of Christianity. This is why it is superior to every other religious system. When Mary gave birth with blood and tears and pain and struggling, and when the baby was born, and I should have told you folks, Donna Wexler had a baby a few days ago. Donna and Blake had a baby. And the little, I called her as she went into labor to give her a little comfort and consolation. What does a man know of these things? But I prayed a fervent prayer, Lord, get this over with fast, because she's a good church member. And so don't keep her there in, in all that pain for too long. And she told me, she said, it worked, Pastor Carter, it was fast. <laughs> and she had a little baby boy, and his name is Benjamin. Benjamin. <laughs> and Mary had a baby, and his name was Jesus. And when she took this little baby, think about it, and nursed the baby, and cuddled the baby, and changed the baby's diaper, or nappy as we say in Australia, and kissed the little baby's cheek and said, aren't you beautiful? Aren't you beautiful? I think you're beautiful. She was holding in her hands the physical manifestation of him who was called Yahweh. Jehovah El Shaddai. Who is worthy to even talk about it? 
He lived the greatest life. And let me give you some evidence for this. I want you to come with me, please, to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. The book of Micah, one of the minor prophets with a major message. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Here we have a messianic prophecy, a prophecy that foretold the coming of the Messiah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Please notice this. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, but a better translation is in the margin, from the days of eternity. Listen to me and let me tell you something. How much does the greatest astronomer, the greatest philosopher, the greatest theologian, the greatest mind understand about eternity? We talk glibly about billions of years. What is a million years? Who can understand that? But Jesus had been there for billions and billions and billions and trillions of years he never had a beginning and he came down to this earth limitless duration eternity and the bible tells us that for around 30 years he worked at a carpenter's bench after he became a little toddler of course maybe 25 years he was there as a toddler with his father in the workshop learning to use the saw and the hammer. And then for some three and a half years he was a preacher and a teacher and a healer. For those three and a half years when he went around the streets of Palestine and walked the dusty country roads. He made such a change in this world, my friend, that nothing has ever been the same since he came. His life made the greatest impact upon humanity. Even though people choose not to believe in him and even though our beloved Friends in Israel say that he was an impostor. They still number the years from his birth. They call it the common era, but they still number the years from his birth. Even the communists in China who say he was nobody, they still number the years from his birth. History split in two when he was born because he was the greatest person with the greatest mission and the greatest life who made the greatest impact. He gave to the world the greatest teachings. Teachings that are so powerful and so wonderful that when you read them after thousands of years, you are still inclined to say, 
This has got power in it. It has a bite in it. It touches me. It speaks to me. It convicts me. His teachings. I want you to notice some of his teachings. Just some. Luke 15, verse 1 and onwards. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1 and onwards, dear friends. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and onwards. As we look at just a small sample of his teachings. Verse 1 and 2 gives us the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus gave some stories. We shall notice but one. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and uh, celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. No one has written a story like that. Shakespeare certainly never wrote a story like this. Time magazine has never put out a story like this. Here is a boy, an ungrateful waster. and He represents us who leaves the father's house and squanders everything he has in wild living, goes so low, does this Jewish boy, that he ends up feeding pigs. That's the worst thing that could happen to a a Jew, feeding pigs. There's no joy in a Jew feeding pigs, is there, Mark? No joy. And he becomes so hungry, does this Jewish boy, that he longs to eat the pig food. But no one will give it to him because he spent all his money on the harlots and the wine, everything. And then the Bible, Jesus here, not just the Bible, but Jesus talking through the Bible, tells us he came to himself. What profound theology is taught here. This is the time when a person starts to see himself as he really is, and he comes to himself, the point of conviction. Do we know what he's talking about? We know. You know. 
He says, maybe my father will have me back and I'll go and I'll say, make me like a hired hand. And he sets out to his father's house with the stench of the pig pen upon him. He smells more like a pig than a boy. But Jesus tells the story of an old man gazing down the road and he sees the boy coming and he runs to meet him and he throws his arms around him with the smell of the pig pen upon him, takes a robe, puts it around him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and kills the fattened calf and celebrates. And he gave many stories like this one. What does it tell? It tells that God is so good. God is so gracious. And he tells the truth about us. He tells the truth about humanity. That humanity without God is in a pig pen. And very, very dissatisfied with life and very bored And Jesus says, but there's a father who waits to welcome you home. Jesus was the greatest teacher the world has ever seen because he rightly told us, he rightly diagnosed as a true physician the sickness of the human soul, which is sin, and told us that there is salvation for the worst of sinners if he will come to himself. And that God is loving and gracious and kind and merciful. Forgiveness for the worst and grace for everybody. Jesus gave some wonderful teachings such as, and you can read this in the scriptures, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I was listening to Larry King live on Thursday night and they had a guy on there who seemed to know everything. And he said... We all know that nobody does nothing for nothing. He said that is a truth that's universal. Nobody does nothing for nothing. Well, he sort of knew nothing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus taught that the happiness that we all long for is not found by looking for it, but it's a byproduct of loving service to others. Lots of people have caught that spirit and they're the happiest people in the world, like Mother Teresa, one of the happiest people because she lived to serve people, even the untouchables. He gave teachings such as love your Neighbor is yourself, yes. Love your enemies. He would say to the Jews in Palestine and the Jews around the world, love the Arabs. Love Arafat. And he would say to the Arabs, in the name of Allah the merciful, Love the Jews. They're your brothers. Forgive them for what they've done to you. And he would say to the Jews, forgive the Arabs for what they have done to you. 
love. And he would say to the person in our church today who has a grudge against a church member or a husband or a wife or a delinquent son, love. The person who has taken you to court, the person who has defrauded you, or the crooked judge, love that person. People say, it's impossible. It is impossible until you know the God who made you. Because a God who can make a billion, billion stars is a God who can generate love for people to love each other. He did the greatest miracles. The touch of his hand was with power. I want you to think of some of the miracles. Just think, you know them. Up by heart, some of them. Remember the story where Jesus set out, I think it was, to heal sick girl? Perhaps I should turn to it in the Bible. Would you come over here to Luke chapter 8, verse 40 and onwards? The greatest of miracles. Luke chapter 8, and I think it's about verse 40. Luke chapter 8, getting, getting close to it now. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Can you visualize this? Can you please visualize this? Here's a woman. She can't stop the bleeding, 12 years. She's gone to heaps of doctors. Jesus goes by. And she reaches out a finger and she touches him and 
instantly she's healed. You know why she was healed in an instant? She touched God. She touched Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai. And then Jesus goes on his way. He goes to the home of Jairus. And here is a little girl. And the crowd is right. She is dead. But Jesus says, oh, it's only sleeping. And Jesus goes in and he takes the little girl by the hand. Can you imagine? He takes the little girl by the hand and very gently he says, little girl, wake up. And the little girl gets up. He says, give her something to eat. She'll be hungry. Everywhere he went, he healed. Every town he went through, the people brought the sick, the lepers, the dying, the cripples. And his hand was with power. The greatest healer, the greatest teacher, who was soon to experience the greatest death. His trial was a mockery. It was held at night. He was accused by crooked religious leaders who have often been on the side of the devil in history. The guards were violent and vindictive and he suffered beatings and torture. Finally, on a Friday morning, he was taken out, this strong young man who had never sinned at all, this righteous, holy man who came from the throne of God. They took him out and they crucified him. Cicero, the Roman, said, there is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. They could not crucify a Roman. It was reserved for foreigners, criminals, and the scum of society. So he was crucified as a foreigner, as an alien, as the scum of society, as a criminal. And yet when you study the scriptures, we discover that he was not a martyr for some noble cause. The Bible teaches that his death was the greatest of all deaths because in the words of one of his disciples, whom we shall discuss next week, St. Paul, the words are, the Lord laid on him our sins. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, which reflects the teaching of Isaiah 53 the sin of every one of us, so-called good people and the rest of us not so good. From the first man to the last man, the sin of the world was laid on him, which caused his death of agony after six short hours. That is why he cried out, my father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, my God? You've always been with me now. Why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken by Almighty God because he was bearing the sin of the world. And on the cross, he earned the right to offer to us salvation.
If there had been no cross, there would have been no crown. On the cross, there was a supernatural darkness that fell over the land to symbolize the darkness of the soul without God. And then as he died, there came a mighty earthquake to teach that even nature, even nature sympathized with him. His death was not like any death that you know. It was the greatest death because his death was a sacrificial death. And he earned the right to be our savior. He was soon to experience the greatest victory. But through his death, he gave to the world the greatest redemption. Nobody else can do this. He offers the greatest forgiveness, the greatest restoration, and the greatest salvation, and heaven. Heaven. It was his mouth, his lips, and his tongue that gave us the words, for God so loved the world. The greatest text in the Bible was spoken not by any of the apostles, but spoken by the greatest person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For the person who's watching the telecast who says, I've gone too far for God. No, you haven't. Because he died for you. For the person who says, I've made a mess of my life. I've messed up my family. I've messed up my children. There's no hope for me. There's no hope for you here, friend, but there's hope for you in Christ. And Christ is here. Jesus said, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven by God. And if there is in any person today the tiniest echo of a prayer, the tiniest echo of a longing, then there is hope for you because of the greatness of his salvation. He said it. The dying thief at the last moments received salvation because he acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He can save living thieves and he can save dying thieves. Within a few days of his death, he was to experience the greatest victory. No man had a victory like this. They put him in a tomb and they sealed it with the Roman seal and they put a band of Roman soldiers about the tomb. But that, knocked, that could not hold him. And on the third day, he walked out of the tomb and cried with a voice that went right across the universe, I am the resurrection and the life. The greatest victory. So he's alive. Alexander the Great is dead. Napoleon is dead. Churchill is dead. Stalin is dead. Lenin is dead. Buddha is dead. Einstein is dead. St. Paul is dead. St. Peter, all the saints. But he is alive Amen. and lives forevermore. Within a few days, the greatest defeat, apparently, 
the greatest apparent defeat was turned into the greatest victory. The Bible, listen to this, talks, my friend, about the greatest return. Think of it. The greatest one is going to come. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The greatest return. Think of it. The return is going to be the greatest, the most sensational, the most spectacular event in the history of the world, coming with the angels of God. Millions and millions of angels. The greatest events, the resurrection when he says, you who sleep in the dust of the earth, hear my voice and come forth. And they come forth. And then he says to the living saints, now I translate you and I give you new bodies and they feel the thrill of eternity. The great return by the greatest person. And that return of Jesus is the ultimate solution to crime, poverty, pollution, disease, and death. Not politics. All people say, we have a new president, it's going to change the world. Oh, come, come, come. The ultimate solution to crime and poverty and racism and injustice is not some political party. It is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And whoever you are watching on television or sitting here in this beautiful church, if you believe in Jesus and accept Jesus now, that for you will be the greatest decision of your life. Everything else is of very small consequence. Turning to Christ is the greatest decision because it's talking about the greatest person. John Wesley, in the mists of despair, wondering whether he would make it to the kingdom of God, whether he was good enough, came under the influence of the Moravians. And they were walking down one of the streets of old London town and along came a wagon and on the wagon was a man condemned to the gallows whose face bore the testimony of death, hopelessness in his face. And the Moravian preacher said, John, get up on the wagon and preach Christ to this dying soul. He said, I hardly believe it. Get up and preach. Wesley got up and he preached to him about the greatest man with the greatest deliverance, the greatest story that is called the gospel. He said, don't you know he came down from heaven and he died for you. He is the son of God. See him hanging on the cross. He goes to the cross for you. Believe in him today and you will have everlasting life. And the dying man 
face once fixed with fear was transformed and he cried out, I believe, I believe, I see him now, I believe. And Wesley stood with him, he said, he believes, he believes. The dying man cried and he said, he died for me, I have everlasting life. He went to his death saved. He will be with Jesus in paradise because the decision that he made was the greatest decision because it was a decision for the greatest person. And I would ask you today, in the name of him, the Lord Jesus Christ, today to decide for him. Can you kneel with me as we pray? great father today on our knees we come and we worship you in the words of the hymn oh come let us adore him we come today to worship and adore your blessed son the great eternal God from all eternity who became man born of the blessed virgin who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, and who rose again the third day, who now intercedes for us in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from which he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Our Father, we thank you that there is a great salvation. And today, our Father, we would accept this great salvation. Oh, God, turn the world off in our hearts today. Open our eyes that we might see him, whom to know is life everlasting. As we're praying here today in our church, how many will say today, I want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want him in my life today. Would you raise your hand? I want the Lord Jesus in my heart today. I want to belong to him for time and eternity. Please lower your hands. How many will raise their hands today and say, God, I am a sinner and I come frankly and freely confessing my sins today and asking for mercy and forgiveness. Can you raise your hand to that today? I am a sinner. Repeat it after me. I am a sinner and I come to you today freely confessing my sins, asking for forgiveness and grace and mercy an everlasting life. I love you, Lord. I thank you for dying for me, Jesus. And I give you my heart. I worship you. 
I bless you. I praise you. And I surrender myself to you today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.